namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Buddhang dhammang sankhang namasami I'm very happy to be here at the BIA once again. Uh, I come to Thailand about twice every year and uh, try to make myself available to offer teachings here. Uh, and uh, I'm very happy to see that uh, BIA is continuing its good work. And also, at this time, having these a conference and the retreat and the teachings in relationship to um, Dhamma and society, uh, in, particularly in honor of uh, uh, Lumpur Buddha Tat's uh, 111th year. Uh, on June the 17th, uh, just passed by a couple of days ago, that was the, uh, the 100th anniversary of the birth of Lumpur Cha. So uh, he was 11 years behind. Uh, and so that uh, this has been a uh, say a, a time of, of recollection and reflection on uh, Lumpur Cha's teachings and uh, next year in January they'll have uh, a large ceremonies at his main monastery Wat Nambapong uh, in uh, honor of his uh, 100th year uh, after his birth so see, uh, seeing the theme uh, of uh, Dhamma and society uh, I was reminded of uh, a talk many, uh, that uh, Lumpur Sumato gave many years ago uh, that was given the, that had the title The Buddhist Ideal of a Perfect Society. So I thought, well, that kind of fits uh, very neatly. And, um, and so uh, I thought I would use that as a theme. So I confess that I, I stole the title from Lumpur Sumato. <laughs> he came up with that. But I feel it's a, a very uh, useful theme to reflect upon, uh, particularly because we have a, a, an idealistic culture. You know, and uh, just uh, yesterday I was giving a, a talk at the uh, World Fellowship of Buddhists, uh, Posolo, uh, and one of the questions that somebody asked, uh, the talk was about fear and anxiety, about worry. And one of the questions after the talk was about uh, being idealistic that uh, uh, a, a woman who ha heads up a particular organization said that uh, uh, many of the people that work for her, they suffer a lot because of uh, they are very idealistic and the world is never quite perfect enough. As they, they worry about all the things that are wrong with the world. And so they're good-hearted people, but they, uh, their good-heartedness is a cause for suffering. She said, the other half of the people who work for me, they're kind of chui chui. They say, oh, my <laughs> Never mind. Yeah, everything is, everything's okay. And they are a bit too relaxed. So she was uh, asking about the, uh, how to find the middle way for the, the ones who are too idealistic and worry too much and the ones who are too easygoing, too chui chui or uh, lazy, kiki up. <laughs> so maybe we'll get onto that uh, Later, uh, later on this evening. So, uh, when I was reflecting about this uh, teaching of Lumpur Sumato's that he gave many years ago, uh, of course, in the very first sentence that he uh, uh, that he um, 
utters the, the first words he speaks. Uh, he says, really, there isn't any such thing as a perfect society. <laughs> so he kind of un unplugs that idea from the beginning. Um, you know, we are, uh, we are uh, able in the human realm to imagine. We can create an image in our minds of how uh, things should be or could be. And so we can, uh, we can do that. But uh, uh, like uh, I was saying yesterday, uh, I was just saying about the talk yesterday and the answer uh, I gave to this woman about the, uh, her uh, workers who are too idealistic, if the mind attaches to uh, idealism, like the, or the, in, in a perfect world it will be like this. If everyone was good and kind and unselfish, the world would be like this. Uh, if we attach too strongly, if we cling to an ideal, then uh, it can make us suffer, and the world is never good enough. I'm never good enough. Others are never good enough. The the government is never good enough. My family is never good enough. Uh, nothing is ever really uh, uh, as as it should be. So then, our own our own uh, kindness, our own good heartedness, becomes a cause for suffering. So then we might take the opposite approach and say, well, therefore, all ideals are a waste of time. They're useless. So why would we create an, an ideal? Or why would we hold up a, 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 a model or a standard if it's just going to make us suffer and make us feel like we're not good enough, we're not trying hard enough? Why bother? So it's important to reflect on, on why would we have an ideal society? Why would the, we have such models? Or why would the Buddha give teachings about how to live skillfully as a person, how to live skillfully in a group, how to uh, skillfully lead a group of people? You know, why would he uh, lay out these models of perfection if they're not useful? So this is something that's uh, important to, to consider. So we have a very good example. We have the Praputaru. Yeah, is a is a doyang. It's an example. It's an ideal. You know that uh, I can safely say that uh, the Buddha image will never have a problem with aching knees. Never has to eat. Never uh, never gets tired. Doesn't even have to breathe. Uh, and like the when the Buddha was very old, when he was eighty years old, he said he had uh, chronic pain. His back was always hurting him. In many of the sutta teachings the Buddha describes, he says, uh, uh, Sariputta, my back is hurting me. The assembly is still awake. I I'm going to go and rest my back. You carry on giving a a another Dhamma talk because everyone is still awake. So, uh, and the, uh, the beginning of the Mahaparinibbana Sutta, the Buddha's uh, account of his own last days, he says, I'm an old man now. I'm 80 years old. My body is like an old cart held together with strings and straps. He says, the only way I can feel comfort is to absorb my mind into emptiness, into the sunyata vihara. Only by completely disengaging his mind from sight, sound, smell, taste, touch and feeling could he experience any kind of comfort. Which means, while he was seeing people and walking around and engaging, he was in pain all the time. So the, even the Buddha had chronic, uh, chronic pain. The Buddha image does not have chronic pain <laughs> because it's a doyang, it's a, an example, it's an ideal. So, but does that mean we, uh, we don't bother having them? Uh, do we throw out all the Buddha images? 
No, because the Buddha image is, uh, uh, say, uh, uh, presents uh, to us an inspiring form. The body sitting upright, the face calm, the eyes open, alert, the, and this combination of qualities of paying attention, of being, uh, <clears throat> being calm, being peaceful, um, being wise, those are represented. They are qualities that uh, a Buddha image um, uh, is designed to encourage within us. So when we see a Buddha image, it makes us feel peaceful. Uh, when we see a Buddha image, it encourages us to wake up. When we see a, a Buddha image, it encourages us to let go of our arguments and our, uh, uh, say, criticism, complaining about the world, because uh, it also encourages a quality of peace and, and patience. So this is uh, one of the reasons why an ideal can be useful. If you attach to the Buddha image and say, you know, this is mine, or this is more beautiful than that one, or uh, I've got the most valuable and holy Buddha image in the whole of Bangkok, then you're not using the image for the purpose for which it is intended. It's being used as an object of attachment. So if we are able instead to take an ideal and then, and then use it, then that helps us to uh, bring out the best in ourselves, as we say in English. So, also, I, I always like to teach at BIA because they let me talk in English here. Because my English is a thousand percent better than my Thai. So, but if people don't understand anything that I say, then when we have the time for questions and answers, Santanatam, then we can clarify some of the things that, that I've been saying. Now, uh, when we see a Buddha image, then, as I said, it encourages those qualities. It helps us to bring out the best in ourselves. And this is a very important principle that the Buddha used very directly. There's a, a teaching he gave that's called the Upozata Sutta. Upozata, like Upozot, the, uh, about the moon day observance. And it's describing the Buddha's own thinking about how he created the form of the eight precepts, uh, sin bad. And so it's, in, it's interesting because it's just recounting his own thinking. It's not really talking to anyone else, it's just his own consideration internally. And so the, why he created the eight precepts he, was because he thought, well, on these moon days, every seven or eight days, they have a different phase of the moon. Different groups gather together and they have observances for their own religious teacher, their own religious practice. So I want to create a form that is beneficial for the lay people, lay community, so they can gather on the moon days, well, once a week, and it can be uh, a time that is beneficial and helpful to them in many ways. So then his thinking went, uh, he said, all their lives from the time of enlightenment until they pass away, an arahant never deliberately takes the life of another living being. They cannot. Uh, <clears throat> and so wouldn't it be a good thing for the lay community to adopt this same action, this way of being, to deliberately not take the life of another living being, because in that way they will be living as the arahants do. They'll be copying the behavior of the arahant, and that will be for their long-lasting welfare and happiness. 
and so with the other eight precepts for all their lives from the time of enlightenment till they pass away an arahant does not take what is not given they don't engage in sexual activity they can't lie they never say anything that's untrue they don't use intoxicants or ways of distracting the mind the uh, arahants they only eat in the morning in the one part of the day uh, they don't seek to entertain themselves or decorate themselves, they don't use jewelry or they don't listen to music or go dancing or uh, playing uh, games in the park. They're, they're not interested in that, that has no meaning or value for them. And then all their lives, um, uh, until from the Enlightenment until the end of their life, an Arahant you know, always chooses to have a, a simple uh, low sleeping place. Uh, they don't indulge over in, in, uh, overindulge in sleep. Um, and wouldn't it be a good thing for the lay community, as with all these, if they act in that way, in that way they will be acting as the Arahants do, and that will be for their long-lasting welfare and happiness. So when you sit like a Buddha, it helps you to be more like a Buddha. <laughs> if you sit kind of in a super sloppy way, it makes you more sloppy, you know, kikir. You know, uh, but if you, if you, and if you're kind of too tight. That's not like a Buddha. That's just uh, like someone who's overstressed, trying too hard. But the Buddha is upright, but relaxed, peaceful, energetic, and totally at ease, both at the same time. Awake, paying attention to the world, but not attached to the world. So, um, and this is uh, why uh, an ideal can be useful. That, like in the Upposita Sutta, the Buddha is spelling out, if we uh, we take this model of the behavior of the arahant and we act in that way, that helps us to recognize within ourselves. You choose to not kill anything, it helps you to remember, to recognize in your own heart that in you which is not capable of violence, that which does not want to hurt, cannot hurt another being. It reminds you, oh yeah, there's part of me that never wants to hurt another being. All right. There's part of me that is honest, that can, uh, doesn't want to tell a lie, that knows you know, lying is really uncomfortable, painful, difficult, creates all kinds of problems. So it's, a, oh yeah, there's part of me that wants to be completely honest. All right. So you're feeding those particular aspects of your own nature. So when we think about the standards that the Buddha offered, the kind of ideals, say, an ideal person, uh, would be like this. Uh, then there are the three different areas where the Buddha gave teachings. And these are lists of qualities. And uh, you know, I brought along a crib sheet just in case I forget. <laughs> so uh, these are lists of qualities, but I don't want to just kind of make a laundry list, as they say in English, just like, pop, pop, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Because when you get to about number five, you can find that you switch off, right? <laughs> so, but uh, I, I thought it would be useful to share with everyone these qualities that the Buddha describes. So the three areas, the first area is of the individual action, the individual attitude. So an ideal person, how do they act? Yeah. Then the, the second area is uh, in a group. Now what's the ideal way uh, that a group functions? and uh, lives together harmoniously and for the benefit of everyone in the group. And then the, the third area uh, 
is uh, leadership. How does one lead a group if you're running a company or you're the, uh, training a group of novices or you're the, uh, uh, running an organization like DIA yeah. <clears throat> or you're abbot of a monastery or whatever, you're a prime minister or, uh, or a queen or a king. Yeah. What are the qualities of a good leader? So the Buddha uh, uh, made very, very clear these ideals. Okay, a perfect person, a good person, uh, a good leader, uh, a good uh, a, a group that's functioning in a wholesome way. This is how they do it. This is these are the qualities that are uh, brought into being. So in a way, it's like describing if you want to have a beautiful, inspiring Buddha image. Buddha image. This is how you make one. These are the proportions. They have the head like this, and the shoulders like this, and the, the back like this. Uh, so the Buddha spelt that out. If you want this to work well, this is how you do it. So that he made clear what the ideals are. So the first uh, collection of qualities in relationship to the individual, the perfect person, or the, the, the person who is a sapurisa, a good person, or one who is uh, living in a, a complete way, or is a, a well-rounded person. You, I don't know what the tie for that would be, but someone who is um, kind of uh, complete and, uh, say, uh, well-trained in all human qualities. So that the, this one particular sutta uh, called the Sapurisa Sutta. Sat means good, or true, or right. Purisa means a person, like Purut, Satpurisa Sutta. He outlines seven qualities. And, uh, and in these qualities, it's interesting to note the main thing that he's talking about is, or that he focuses upon, is our ability to be observant, to notice things. And in Pali, we would say to have um, Yoniso Manasikara, wise reflection. Tamavijaya, to investigate reality. In Western psychology, you'd say something like having good pattern recognition abilities, good social awareness, so that you are observant. You're watching what's happening in you, what's happening around you, and you're uh, aware of the effect of your actions on others and, and how, the, how your relationships work. So that the main thing about uh, that the Buddha focuses upon in terms of developing uh, on being uh, an ideal person is these qualities of having sati sampajanya mindfulness and clear awareness and uh, being observant, being attentive, and uh, being able to uh, say recognize uh, the the way that things work. So these seven qualities are dhamma nyuta. So it's the uh, awareness of the origins of things, or, or the source, uh, the, the causes of things. Like, how did this happen? I'm here because uh, Yong Mui sent me an invitation. Oh, I hear you're coming to, to, to Bangkok again. Can you come to BIA? <laughs> I'm here because I've been here before, and people have, have uh, appreciated the things I had to say, so they invited me again. I'm here because uh, Lumpur Cha had great respect for Lumpur Pudatat, and uh, the one picture on the wall at Lumpur Cha's kuti, right above his head, was a picture of Ajahn Buddhadasa. He didn't even have a picture of Lumpur Man, but he had Lumpur Buddha sitting above his, uh, his seat. Uh, so that's a message. So I said, well, if uh, uh, Lumpur Cha respected Lumpur Buddha so much, yeah, I'd better give these people plenty of attention. <laughs> 
So uh, you, you reflect upon the cause or the origin of things. Then the second quality is atanyuta, or looking at the results or the objectives. You consider, what's the objective? Well, the objective is to help people to understand how to use ideals and to help to convey some useful information, things that will be uh, enable us to live our lives as, as students or as uh, uh, young adults, uh, uh, older people, uh, retired people, uh, practitioners of the Buddha's path, how to use the Buddha's teachings in a way that can really benefit our lives and help society. That's the, the kind of objective. So that's Atanyuta, A-T-T-H. Then the third one is knowing yourself. What kind of a personality are you? Uh, are you a, an extrovert, outgoing type? Are you shy? Are you uh, like you like to keep quiet, or you don't really have much to say? Yeah. What what what's your your way of being? So, like speaking about Lumpuman. So he was very eloquent, very gifted with speech. Um, when he was a young boy, he was very gifted at the Morlam singing. You know, in the in the northeast, they have the kind of competitive singing. So, like one person, you had to make it up as you go along. You have the band playing the music, and then you have two people kind of um, dueling songs. <laughs> and so, uh, Lumpuman, when he was a lad, he was very good at this. And then the 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 people who are singing are making it up as they go along, and the, and they would always try and and end the verse. They would sing one verse to the music. And they try and end it with a very difficult rhyme, so that it's very hard to follow along. So you have to think really quick and come up with the right words, and your words have to fit the music, and you also have to figure out a way to make it difficult for the other guy. <laughs> and so they go back and forth and back and forth until one goes, they, they run out of words. So Lumpuman was really good with speech, very quick, very clever. But his teacher, uh, Lumpu Sao, was very quiet, and uh, and he would be the accounts of him teaching Lumpuman and saying, "Yeah, I can't believe how much your mind thinks, <laughs> how many words you have. This is uh, you know, my mind is not like that at all." And they, there are stories of uh, Lumpu Sao being invited to give a dhamma talk, and he'd get up on the dhamma seat and chant Namotasa, and then he'd say, "Being good." is good. <laughs> A1. <laughs> that's it, you know, like a five-word Dhamma talk. And that's, okay, that's enough, just, yeah, be good. What else is there to say? But then Lung Puman could get up there and just talk for two or three hours without, uh, without even thinking, you know, without pausing. So, uh, are you, uh, are you uh, shy? Are you extrovert? Are you are you healthy? Are you sick? Are you tired? Are you energetic? What what's uh, uh, the shape of the world for you? So to, to know yourself, to know your character, to know your limitations. So like yesterday, I was giving a talk about fear, about worry. Earlier in the day, I was being interviewed for a magazine. They were asking me the same questions. They'd seen the the, the notice for the talk, so they said, "Can we talk about this for the interview?" <laughs> And so the, the person interviewing me said, you know, I, my mind uh, ruminates a lot, it thinks all the time, and I worry all the time. And, and uh, so he said, well, what about you? You know, you've got to give a talk at, at Posolo tonight. You know, are you worried about what you've got to say? And I said, no. 
because uh, I never, I know I never ran out of words. I'm a wordy guy. <laughs> and so over teaching for 35 years, I've never run out of words. So statistically, it's very likely that I will find something to say. <laughs> so I said, no, I, I'm not worried because I'm not going to run out of, of things to say. And uh, usually most of the people don't get up and walk out halfway through. Or not everybody falls asleep. You know. So I said, no, it's not a worry. So I know I'm a wordy guy. Uh, sometimes I can be too, wor too wordy. So when I was a small child, once my, we, uh, my grandmother came from Belgium, and I grew up in England, so every year in the summer, the whole family would go on the boat across the English Channel from England to Belgium. It's about a three or four hour boat ride. And one time my grandfather said, I will give you sixpence if you stop talking for five minutes. I nearly exploded. So it was very, very difficult when I was, uh, I was about five years old, six years old. <laughs> so now I try to speak to make my speech useful. So knowing yourself, atanyuta, knowing your own character, your own personality. Then uh, a well-rounded person also knows what is the right amount, knowing podi, what's, what's, the, uh, what's the appropriate uh, quantity, the right amount of uh, of speech, <laughs> the right amount of food, the right amount of, uh, of uh, attention to give to your different children. So knowing the right amount of matanyuta is the Pali. So like if you're a school teacher, knowing the right amount of time you need to spend with your different students. You know, the ones who are really quick and really self-reliant, you know, okay, well she just needs like, hello, and then she's off. She doesn't need my attention. But you know, this other lad, you know, he really needs some help and he, he's insecure, so I need to give more encouragement. So you know, the, this, this girl needs like three seconds, he needs ten minutes. So knowing the right amount is not just in terms of uh, not eating too much, but it's also uh, in terms of your time, your energy, and uh, the way that you work. So then uh, <coughs> the... Um, also knowing the appropriate time for doing things. So that knowing Kala Nyuta is the next one. Kala, Rujak Kala Tesa. So that knowing the, the, the right time. So that uh, <clears throat> if, say, it was quarter to six and you're also sitting here and chatting, and I climbed up on the Dhamma seat and start to, okay, yeah, I'm ready to start the Dhamma talk. You're, well, we haven't got sat down and the, half the people haven't arrived and we haven't given, given done the introduction. So it's not the right time to start speaking. Uh, or if you're all sitting here at 6 o'clock and I get here at 6.45, so, oh, you're already, you're already here, okay. Yeah. Okay, I hope you had a nice time just sitting, waiting for me. <laughs> that also would not be the right time. So the kalanyuta, knowing the, the right time for things. Also the time when uh, it's a time to be serious, you know, the, a time to be quiet, time to crack a joke. That's also, uh, uh, say, what we're bringing awareness to. So all of these things you can see, it needs sati and sampajanya, mindfulness and clear awareness. Okay, this person's, their, their husband has just died. This is not the time to be making jokes. Yeah. 
unless you know, she makes a joke first, then I can kind of laugh too. But you know, the person's just sad at the loss of their husband, so this isn't a time to be kind of hi, how are you? You know, yeah. Talking about the the most recent soap opera, you know, it's like no, that's not the time. Or if uh, <clears throat> it's a time to be uh, kind of giving information, to to be kind of uh, academic, or a time to be kind of playful. Like when the, somebody brings their, their uh, like a, where I've been staying, the, the family just got a new grandson who's 10 months old. So little boy is brought in each day to kind of see the monk. And so when the, this little lad comes up, I say, you know, hello, how are you? And, <laughs> you know, I don't kind of tap the table and start making faces at all of you. Not so much anyway. <laughs> because uh, for the little boy, that's the, the time and the appropriate thing to do. So all these aspects are like paying attention. What's the appropriate response to the time, the place, the situation? So then uh, the, um, the next quality is, who are you talking to? The, it's called parisanyuta. Parisa, like Buddha, uh, Buddha Parisat. Uh, that comes from the Pali word parisa. So what group are you talking to? So here, this, uh, uh, this is BIA, so people are Ajahn Buddhadasa disciples. So if I was in the monastery in the, the, the northeast, in the Isan, then maybe I would talk in a slightly different way. If I was talking in English in the Isan, 95% of the people are... because they don't understand English. <laughs> Most of the villagers and people from Warin, Ubon, they, not many of them learn much English. So if you, you have to know the group. Who are you talking to? Is this the uh, is this the your employees or is this uh, your bosses? You know who are you talking to? Are you conducting the interview or are you being interviewed? Uh, are you uh, asking for a grant for your project or are you uh, about to you know, trying to give a grant to somebody? You know, which position are you in? Who are you? Who, what's the situation? Who are you talking to? So knowing the group, uh, the parisa, and. Uh, so again, it's attuning to the time, the place, the situation. Because if you're in the role of a teacher, you function in, a, in one way. If you're in the role of the student, you function in a different way, right? And probably many of you are ajans or, or cruel teachers in your own right. But at the moment, you're in the role of students, so you're kind of notebooks, taking your. But you know, if you're in the role of the, the ajan and the with your your uh, classroom in the college and the university. Uh, then you're the one up front sort of saying, it's like this, like that. You're doing the explaining. So it's different. It's a different parisa. So then uh, the, uh, the last of the qualities is pugalanyuta, uh, knowing other people's characters. So uh, if I'm talking to, to someone, you know, are they 10 months old? Are they 40 years old? Uh, are they, are they uh, European? Are they British? Are they Thai? Are they Sri Lankan? What's uh, their cultural background? What's their educational background? Uh, what are they interested in? So uh, assessing the, the, who you're talking to. So the, 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 the qualities of, uh, of the, the people that you're in contact with and working with. So these are all very practical guidelines when the Buddha is saying for a well-rounded person, it's like essentially you can boil it down to pay, it, pay attention. <laughs> pay attention. That uh, you are needing to bring your mind to who you're with, what's the situation, how are things working. 
So then the, the second area uh, of qualities is how to function as a group in a harmonious way. So this is very much about Sangha life and uh, working harmoniously in a group with other people. And so the, um, these qualities, when you, you look through them, uh, there's a, a couple of uh, particular teachings that are very, very often referred to in terms of the monastic community and developing uh, wholesome and harmonious relations in the monastery, but it works just the same in the family, in the school, in the college, in the workplace, uh, on the, in the Bangkok traffic. <laughs> you know, but uh, particularly when you're trying to work together as a unified group, so it's like the people in your university department, or the people in your office, or the people in your, your family, or the people in your monastery, or your Buddhist center, VIA. You know. So these, uh, and the interesting thing about these qualities, they have a bit of a different tone, where the development of the individual is about having mindfulness, clear comprehension, yoniso manasikara, kind of reflectiveness and uh, paying attention. Then working together as a group, then the emphasis is much more on unselfishness, uh, may, uh, kind of not attaching to duodon, duogu, kongu, kind of being unselfish, uh, being humble, being, uh, being ready to, to be humble and not sort of proud or, or authoritarian, uh, to be grateful, uh, expressing gratitude to, uh, to others to your elders and people who helped you, and also compassion. They're much more emotional qualities. So that when you're working together as a group, these are the kind of principles that really need to be brought to mind. So compassion towards others, humility in relationship to others, uh, gratitude towards others, and unselfishness. So like making a point not to put your own concerns first. So that uh, there's two collections of qualities that uh, are often referred to. And again, I'm trying not to make a laundry list, but I will anyway. <laughs> I see there's many notebooks out. You can, you're free to write these things down. Uh, so that these are, the first group is uh, called, six qualities called the Saraniya Dhammas. Or these are beautiful or wholesome qualities. So this is, first of all, uh, cultivating an attitude of metta chitena, the heart of loving kindness, in your thoughts, your words, and your actions. So, if you are trying to function harmoniously in a group, uh, then to have that quality of, of well wishing, of kindness towards everyone that you're working with. So, not, and not just in your actions, so you're refraining from attacking other people. <laughs> or being kind of unkind or rude uh, in your actions uh, or, or in your speech, but also in your thoughts. So the, it's loving-kindness in, uh, in thought, speech and action. And, and so that uh, this is a lot about, even if you feel um, a, a kind of conflict with someone that you work with, that you really resent how they've treated you, they've been unkind or unfair, then that you're, you're very conscious of the, those feelings of bearing a grudge or a negative feeling within you. So, so even if you can't have loving-kindness towards that person in your thoughts, like, yeah, but I hate him, <laughs> at least you can have loving-kindness for your own grudge. You can, uh, when we say loving-kindness, doesn't mean we have to like it, but we can say, well, yeah, negativity happens. 
This is a, that person hurt my feelings and ow, <laughs> it's still, I'm still carrying it around. Here it is. I don't like it, it's not beautiful, but here it is. So we can have metta for our own negative feelings. Does that make sense? And that's in a way where the meditation and the ability to, to look at our own mind is very helpful. So that even if we're restraining our action and our speech, and the mind says, well, I can't control my mind, I can't make myself like everyone. <laughs> I can't make myself be happy to see everyone. It's like, oh, no, it's her. Oh, oh good morning. Yeah. Yeah, you can't make bitter be sweet. But you can also recognize, well, this is a bitter feeling and for whatever reason my heart is still hanging on to that. Okay, so we are having metta, or what I would call radical acceptance, even for that feeling. So then the, the other three uh, aspects of the uh, saraniya dhammas, yeah, one is sharing the things that you have. So that, uh, and the, the Buddha uses the example for the Sangha, he says, even the food, the alms food you get, if you get some nice kind of delicious thing on the Bindabhag, you're ready to share it with your friends. So even, the, even, even if you have no possessions, the only possessions you have is the alms food, you're even ready to share that with, with your friends. Uh, so to, to be ready to uh, offer what you have. So if you want harmony within your office or in BIA or in... Um, in uh, your family, when you get something good, someone says, uh, <coughs> well, uh, so-and-so has just moved out of the corner office, and you've got you know, windows on, on two sides. <laughs> yeah. uh, would, would you like this office? And you say, then your first thought might be, oh yeah, great. But then you think, wait a minute, no. Uh, well, maybe I can share this. So like, well, I've got a kind of, my off the office I've got already is pretty nice, why don't you offer this to somebody else that, that they can appreciate it? So sharing the, the riches that, that you have or the, the good um, kind of uh, fortune that you have. And that's in Pali is sadharana, sadharana boga. So sharing your boga, your wealth or your, the good things that you have. So in families, particularly with your sisters, your brothers, then you know, there's a strong tendency like, well, that's mine, I want my share. <laughs> Like, I got yeah I got the good stuff and tough luck you know but uh, but that readiness to share what you have is a very profound source of harmony and benefit when your own sister or your brother oh he could have kept it for himself and he said here why don't you have this or would you like some oh he yeah, she does love me oh she does care wow huh and we can change the relationship in a good way so then there is also a sila, sila samanyuta, like the uh, keeping an equal standard of, of conduct. So like if you are working together or trying to work together uh, in, a, in a group, in a sangha or in a, a, uh, uh, an office situation or you know, you're in a department, you know, it, uh, if you all keep the same standard of virtue, it's much, much easier to be harmonious with each other. There's a mutual respect. If you know that some person is taking office supplies home every day, or that someone, you know, one of your other research fellows is plagiarizing, they're, they're copying half their material, they're, they're kind of 
cheating on their results of their experiments, or they're they're borrowing the the results of other people without asking and presenting it as their own, then you say, well, I would never do that. So should we keep quiet, or how should we bring that up? Because if people have different standards, someone says it's okay to rip off the boss; he can afford it. The company is incredibly rich. You know, of course, I take things home. Doesn't everybody? Well, no. <laughs> so when people have a different standard, it always is going to create division. So establishing harmony depends on finding ways to keep a common standard of conduct. And then the uh, the last one of the Saranya Dhammas is to uh, is uh, the partly for it is. Uh, Ditti samanyuta, like having the same views. So that's a bit more difficult, a bit more uh, challenging. But uh, at least it means uh, having the same kind of basic understanding, the basic attitude of, of what you're there for. Why are we working for this company? Why are we teaching in this college? Why are we in this monastery? Why do we want BIA to function? What are we here for? And so a, a common understanding and ways that you can help develop that so um, different uh, groups, different people can do this in different ways. But uh, to establish that kind of harmony, to gather together and to ask everyone in the in the group, what are you here for? <laughs> what, why why have you joined this department? Why are you in this in this Buddhist center? Why uh, why are you teaching at this college? What are you here for? And at least you can listen to other people's motivation. Sometimes it's a big surprise, like oh. This is a career move, is it? <laughs> I thought we were all here just to end suffering. You know? <laughs> but uh, at least we can hear each other. And the more that we can appreciate and have understanding of others' motivations, um, and that we can, say, listen to each other, we can get closer to a unity of view or a unity of purpose. And the more that we're all here for the same reason or similar reasons, the more we'll be able to function harmoniously and beneficially as a group. So at the uh, Abhayagiri Monastery where I, that I helped uh, found and to run with Lumpur Apasana for uh, 13, 14 years, every two weeks we would have a, a, a sharing meeting. And it's a deliberately, it's a non-business meeting. You're not allowed to discuss business. And it's a feeling meeting. So you talk about um, how things have been for you. And, the, and that was incredibly helpful in establishing a new monastery. And so you talk about um, what you appreciate <clears throat> what, uh, like from others, what you regret about your own conduct, and what, uh, and what you resent about, of others. So what, where you've been hurt by what, so, what someone else has done, what you're glad about what, by what someone else has done, and what you feel uh, uncomfortable about your own conduct. So. Uh, gratitudes, resentments, and regrets. Uh, I, I'm not suggesting you have to do this in every hospital or university college or uh, here at BIA, but that way it was amazing sometimes when you heard just what's been going on in the mind of your fellow monks or novices uh, during that fortnight. Uh, wow, he's really upset about that. I didn't, didn't even know that happened. I didn't even notice that. And he's been really upset, and, and it's been a big thing for him. 
Or someone said, well, I was really, you know, I was really upset, you know, I, I came into the, the, the building and you kind of took one look at me and you scowled, you kind of gave me this really nasty look and you just rushed past me and, you know, if you've got a problem with me, I want you to tell me about it. You know, that why were you so upset? You didn't say anything, you just kind of ran by with this horrible look on your face. And then the other monk would say, oh, I just had to get to the bathroom. You know, I had a, a, an emergency. I needed to run to the bathroom, and you were just something in the way, so I'm sorry, sorry. It wasn't about you, it was just I had to rush to, to the loop. So the... Um, to continue with the, uh, these, uh, these lists then, uh, the, so there's the, uh, uh, those are the six Saranya Dhammas. Then uh, there's another uh, collection of qualities that the, the Buddha talked about of how a group can sustain itself uh, in, uh, in a skillful way over time. And so that this is uh, called the Aparani... <laughs> I always get this one wrong. Aparahanya Dhammas. And so this is how the sasana, the, how the Buddha's religion can last for a long time. It's also um, how the, uh, he said the, why when the, the, the Vajian confederacy was uh, so strong that uh, the um, king Ajatasattu was trying to attack them and, and uh, couldn't defeat them. And they said, why do I keep attacking them? They keep beating me. And uh, the Buddha said, well, the reason why is because they have very, very strong integration. They have strong harmony within themselves. And uh, as long as that harmony is there, you'll never beat them because they are very powerful, strong as a community. Um, and so then uh, he, gave a, he outlined these qualities and then also gave the same teachings to the Sangha, saying this is what will help the Sangha to last for a long time. And so uh, these are firstly... To meet together frequently and in large numbers. So, and Lumpur Cha took these, these teachings very, very seriously. So, this was uh, very much how he established uh, Wat Bapong. So, that's why Wat Bapong has so many meetings. Like every, every year, twice a year, all the heads of the branch monasteries uh, gather. So, at Wat Bapong just now, we had a meeting with like 580 monks, uh, the heads and vice abbots of many, many branches. In England, we just had the International Elders Meeting for the Global Branches with about 125 nuns and monks and novices. So, meet together frequently and in large numbers. To, uh, when you meet, to, to gather in harmony, to, to discuss, do your discussions in harmony and to se uh, separate harmoniously, if, you, uh, uh, if that's uh, the standard that you observe. Um, to respect the rules, the laws that have been established, and not to change anything without consulting the others. It's kind of it's kind of obvious, but <laughs> if you want to, you respect the rules, the agreements that you've made with the group. If you want to change something, you ask first. Uh, I know the preference that we have as people is to ask for forgiveness after having done what we want, rather than asking for permission before. But the, the Buddha would always recommend ask permission first. Ask permission before. Then to respect the elders, those who have gone before, who have greater experience to you, than yourself. Uh, to uh, 
say to protect the uh, the women and the, the the young and the weak of the community those who the the world uh, uh, sees as vulnerable and uh, is uh, are easily harmed in life to make the effort to protect and support those who are not able to support or protect themselves to uh, and then also how we relate to other religious groups so to uh, to protect the shrines and temples to look after those in a good way and to also respect and protect and help other religious people whether they're your own religion or not to to be uh, open and protective and supportive of them to not make enemies of other religious groups so say for example uh, right now in the world there's a lot of conflict between the muslim community and many others and uh, in Britain, they've had some uh, attacks. Um, uh, there was a suicide bomber at the Ariana Grande concert with uh, 22 people were killed. And then uh, the attacks, knife attacks on London Bridge where yeah, eight or nine, nine people died in those attacks. Um, and uh, <clears throat> just uh, yesterday, there was a, a kind of revenge attack outside a mosque. Um, somebody uh, drove their vehicle into the crowd of people coming out of the mosque in North London. So there's a lot of tension and, and uh, kind of, um, uh, say, conflict, uh, a lot of creation of opposition between the Muslim community and other communities. So uh, I went to an interfaith event at the House of Lords earlier this year that was organized by a Muslim group. And they invited the different um, uh, religions to have an interfaith gathering in the House of Lords, so it's kind of interesting to go along. And uh, uh, the um, the man who convened it is Lord Sheikh. Um, so uh, he's also the head of the Muslim Conservative Association. So there's a uh, members of the Conservative Party, like the right wing uh, people who are in power at the moment. They're so conservatives who happen to be Muslims. But, uh, and so we got friendly. I said, well, if you want to come and visit Amravati, I'd be very happy to welcome you there. And I was inclined to be very welcoming to them because they actually have a, a Buddhist woman on their committee. So I thought, well, these have to be, they're not, maybe they're Muslims and they're conservatives, but they're also obviously pretty liberal. If they got a, a Sri Lankan woman uh, who's a Buddhist on their committee for the Conservative Muslim Association. So, uh, so I said, you know, if you'd like to come to Amravati, we'd be very happy to welcome you there. And uh, so then a couple of days later, they contacted me and said, well, how many people can we bring? Yeah. <laughs> so Up to 100? So I thought it was very important to create uh, an opportunity to get together and to show mutual respect and support that when there's so much conflict and um, kind of uh, enemy-making in people's minds and creation of... Uh, the, the others as a danger, as a threat, as unwanted, as bad, to say, well, no, we're all human beings. We're all trying to live our lives together. So please, if you want to come and visit this monastery, please come. So on July the 1st, we have a, a busload of uh, conservative Muslims, or Muslim conservatives, <laughs> coming to Amravati. So the... Um, these are the uh, Apparani... Appa, I can never get it right. Aparahaniya dhammas, the seven, uh, these seven qualities that lead to the long-lasting, uh, say, 
lifespan of the sasana. And so, as I said, Lumpur Cha took these qualities very seriously. So he built his training of the Sangha and his community around these things. So there's a great respect for elders. The, the training of the juniors, like we have this large crowd of young novices, three-day-old novices. So if these novices were living at Wapapong, then they would be very much trained. Okay, this is how you look after an Ajahn. This is how you accept the, the yam, the bag of an ajahn. This is how you put it down. This is how you don't put it down. Yeah. This is how you wash the ajahn's bowl. This is how you take the bowl. This is how you put the bowl down. This is how you don't put the bowl down. This is how you wash the bowl. This is how you dry the bowl. And so the, the connection of the student to the teacher, the juniors to the elders, was like the centerpiece of the um, uh, Cha's training, that so this uh, quality uh, of respecting the elders and respecting the decisions that the elders have made, even if you think the decision is really stupid, like well that's what we do because that's what we do. Maybe I can make a suggestion that we can change it, but right now that's what we do. Okay, <laughs> there you go. So uh, the. Uh, so, as a junior, you have an opinion, you have a perspective, but it's not up to you to change things. Or if you do want to change things, you do need to ask the Ajahn first. That's a, the, the polite way of doing it. If you do that, then the, the whole group will last uh, a long time and will really benefit. And so, that sense of, uh, when you're young, of course, you know best. You know, it's, a, it's one of those things in a, in a monastery, when you're an eight-precept layman, a pakao, you know, when I have my monastery, I know exactly how it's going to be run. We're going to have the, like this, 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 and this. And I'm never going to allow that, 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 or that ever. So when you're a Pakao, you're 100% sure how the monastery should be run. When you're a Samanera, you're 80% sure. When you're a Navaka monk, when you're in the first five years, you're 50% sure. When you're a Majima monk, uh, uh, when you're between five and ten years, then you're like 20% sure. When you're a terror, you've been a monk for ten years, you're like 5% sure of how it should be when you when you have your own monastery. When you're a Mahatera and you do have your own monastery and you're the abbot, you realize, Mayrurun. <laughs> All of your plans, your ideas, how it should be, how it's going to be, what you're going to have, what you're not going to have, none of it ever works out that way. It's not an ideal, but it's these people at this time, you know, in this group, in this place. That's the, what I'm working with, so that you're learning to operate with the reality of the, the situation. So I, I see the time has already gone past, uh, past 7 o'clock, so I need to keep things short. But the, the last area uh, that I wanted to talk about is about leadership. And the Buddha gave uh, a set of ten qualities, the ideal uh, leader of society, uh, the, uh, a monarch, a, a queen or a king, a, a prime minister, a president. These are the qualities that a good leader should have. And so these are, again, if you've got your, take shorthand. So I'll see if I can remember these ones. So they are generosity. And again, one of the interesting things is half of these ten are about not being violent, not using your authority in a violent way. So it's, kind of, it's really striking when you look through this list. 
even though you've got the power, you are the president, you're the, 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 the head of department, you're the, the head of the corporation, you're the abbot of the monastery, it's like, be, <clears throat> be compassionate, yeah. uh, be restrained, you know, the, don't use your power carelessly, but also be courageous. You have to be ready to be brave and make choices, make decisions, but be restrained. So, dana, generosity. Sila, being virtuous. Uh, then, adava, which means, uh, sorry, parichaga, which means being uh, ready to self-sacrifice uh, yourself, to give up your own preferences. So, so parichaga is self-sacrifice. Ajava is uh, to be honest, like to be true to your word. Madhava, to be gentle. Then, uh, Tapa, which means to have self-control. Then um, Akoda, to, to be non-reactive. To not be... Uh, akoda is glot, uh, anger. So Akoda is to not be angry or reactive. Uh, akoda, to be kind of ready to listen and to be responsive. Avihingsa, to be non-violent. Don't hit the novices. One of our precepts, actually, it's only a minor offense to cut the ears off a novice. Did you know that? Uh, the, the police would probably arrest you nowadays. But according to the Vinaya, it's only a dukkata offense to cut a novice's ears off. Not to threaten anybody. <laughs> so, uh, don't threaten the novices. So, avihingsa, to be, uh, uh, be non-violent. Kanti, to be patient. And then avirodhana, to, to carry out your leadership in accordance with Dhamma. So to practice Dhamma in accordance with Dhamma, to adhere to that quality of, of righteousness, of truthfulness, of not just um, speaking Dhamma and acting selfishly or reactively or violently, but uh, being a good model uh, for, the, uh, for others. So these are the ideals and uh, you won't be tested, <laughs> except in your own life. But we, just like a Buddha image, we take these ideals, these qualities, and then if we cling to them, we think, well, I can't remember that, I can't do all of that, you know, I can't be unopinionated or non-reactive, or I can't always be honest, or, yeah, I do take this stuff home from the office, and it is a really rich company, and they can afford it, and they're insured anyway. <laughs> so, the... But we, we take this ideal to give ourselves an example. And just like the Buddha, the um, Upasada Sutta, if we use these ideals and bring them to mind, then if we try to act in that way, it helps us to touch in, the, in our own heart to uh, be able to use those qualities that already exist within us to remember we can be non-violent, we can be self-sacrificing, we can look out for others. We can be grateful. We can have gratitude to those who have gone before rather than just complaining about the old guys who keep telling us that we're doing it wrong. Yeah. We can instead say, well, thank you. You've been doing this for 30, 40 years. I really appreciate that you've been so patient and so kind to me. So uh, that is something that we can aspire to so that uh, when we are, um, say, looking at these ideal qualities it's not to make ourselves 
feel bad or feel uh, inefficient or, or incapable, but rather to clarify what's the goal, to clarify the possibilities for ourselves and give ourselves a clear direction, like the Buddha image. He says, yeah, <laughs> if I could just be like that, everything will be fine. <laughs> so uh, the, uh, I will leave things there for in terms of my uh, offerings uh, for, uh, for all of you. And uh, uh, even though um, I've said a lot of words, they had all these lists. You know, the the um, uh, the 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 seven uh, aspects of the the good person, the well-rounded person, the sapurisa, the six saranya dhammas, the seven aparahanya dhammas, the ten raja dhammas. That's the, the ten qualities of a good leader called the ten raja dhammas. So there's a lot of dhammas, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, it all, in a way, it all comes down to paying attention, being unselfish, and <clears throat> and uh, the being ready to to care for others, to to bring uh, the others and the well-being of others into your attention, and to be to be grateful, to be compassionate, and uh, and then things look after themselves. So even though it's lots of lists, many many words, then it's also uh, it's helpful to understand that that living as a good person and helping to contribute to society in, in an ideal way, it's uh, it's not about being busy or trying to do all this good stuff, but rather if we pay attention and have an attitude of compassion, kindness, and selfishness, then things look after themselves. Like I was saying about when you get to being a Mahatera and you do have your own monastery, all your plans don't really count. <laughs> But you pay attention. Who are you with? What's the time, the place, the situation? And what's the right thing to do? So I think I'll end there and we can have a, a, a time to um, have a bit of a leg stretch for five minutes and then you can uh, come back and uh, ask questions if you need to. Here one. Oh, okay. So, uh, I think this will be a very good thing to know because if you want to be a more likable person or want to be a better person, you should listen to this like every day. And I would like to say that when you find you're not happy about something, or you don't have friends, or you've been bullied too far, you can know the best way how to fix this problem. And when you have a major problem that's really making you very angry and upset and sad, you can fix this problem by listening to this. And this can really help your day up. And I think being a monk is good. Or being a monk. Because it will make me, it will make us have better conversation skills and listening skills. And it will make you a better person. And learn how to try your best and not to give up. If you are a real champion, you should never give up. You should keep going all through miles and miles. And don't say I'm tired. Or I can't do it, or we can't do it. You have to say, there is a way, we should do it. Like, listen like, about like, the rabbit, the head and turtle, like the hair being up in the middle, or also the end, because the head is he or she is too good, and then later, he or she said it was taken away, and then the turtles or the turtle tried his hardest, never gave up. And then, then he beat the hair, and the hair didn't know. And the hair was shocked at the end. That's right. Well, I'm glad that that's, uh, what I had to say was appreciated. And um, 
I'm sure that your Ajans have been taking notes, <laughs> but everything is recorded here. So we have several cameras, and uh, so even if a, a few things were missed, then uh, it's all there in the uh, in the data. What is the best best way of maybe fixing our day if you have a very bad day or you're upset about something? What's the best way of fixing it? Well, the, the best way of uh, working with it is to look at the attitude, the tasanakati, because uh, <clears throat> it was a, a, a number of years ago, Lumpur Liam, who was the abbot of Wat Nong Bapong, uh, Ajahn Chah's monastery, he came to visit us in, in America, Wat Apaikiri, and uh, one of the lay people asked him this question, said, uh, Lumpur, what was the biggest obstacle or the biggest difficulty that you had in your life as a, as a monk or as a novice? And he said, well, you know, when I, when I was younger, there was a lot of fear. So that was, that, was, uh, that was difficult to work with. And then he kind of paused and said, you know, talking in terms of difficulties or problems, that's not really talking in terms of Dhamma because... You know, what we, we think of as, as problems, you know, panha or upasak, an obstacle, say they're actually what uh, help us to develop good spiritual qualities. So they help us to raise our game. You know, like if you're, uh, if you're in a soccer team, you know, a football team, and uh, you have a, a match against a, another local school, and they're kind of the school is half your size and they don't have very good sports facilities and, and you always beat their team so that when you go to the match you're kind of, oh well it's going to be easy and you, know, you kind of don't really pay attention you don't really even tie your boots up very tight you just don't really care but then if you're, if you're playing against the local division champions they're like, oh man, oh wow they're so good like when I was at school uh, in England I was at a little country boarding school with only 350 pupils and it was in a, a group of three schools. The other two were in London and they had like a thousand pupils. So they had many more people to, to choose from. So when we would play sports against these other two schools, Westminster School or Emmanuel School, you know, oh, wow. this is going to be painful. So you knew, okay, you were playing Emmanuel this weekend. Okay, buckle up. You know. And so you'd try extra hard in your training and you'd be playing really close attention and with the coach you'd be learning all the different uh, moves and the, and the procedures really well because you've got to play this big school and they always win pretty much every time. So uh, you raise your game. You, you improve uh, your skills because of the challenge. So I thought that was really very, very good advice on, uh, from Lumpur Liam that we think of things as like having a, a difficult person at work or a, a family member who, who hates us or we have a, a, a chronic illness and think, oh, if only I didn't have this bad leg, if only I didn't have my brother, <clears throat> yeah, then I could practice. If only I didn't have this, uh, the, the family business that I have to run, then I could practice. And, but uh, the spirit of the teaching and what Lumpo Cha would always emphasize is that if we change the attitude, then what we call difficult or a problem becomes uh, what he would say is like a sharpening stone. You know when, you, when a knife 
needs to be sharpened. You you rub it against a, a what they call a whetstone, a sharpening stone. He said what we call our conflict. So that kind of conflict or um, friction, you know, you know the word friction when you rub against something. That that is what helps to keep the edge of your wisdom sword really sharp, <laughs> because if you could, if you wanted a kind of sanuksabai life, kind of easy, uh, comfortable, then your edge can get really blunt because you don't have any challenge. It's like we're just playing the local team; they're no good. We don't really have to try. Get you know, we always get five goals against them. You know, piece of cake. But if it's like, oh my goodness, Emmanuel or Westminster, <gasps> even worse, you know, we never beat them ever. Okay, this time, this time, this time. Then you raise your game. You have to work things out. You have to think things through. You have to to go against your own um, fears, your own sense of weakness, and uh, and you find you have abilities that are, are really uh, incredibly helpful. You have uh, uh, just like you're using that friction to to give you an edge to try harder. So uh, speaking about fear, uh, the stomach talk yesterday, I was reminded of a, a story I often tell about uh, um, somebody who was sitting the entrance exam for Oxford and Cambridge, and uh, I often tell this story, but I feel it's very useful to tell. So. When you do the Oxford and Cambridge entrance exams, they have two parts. One is the subject that you're, the, uh, the one part is the subject you're studying for. So like, um, if you're doing sciences, it'll be like physics, chemistry, maths. And then the other is the general paper. And the general paper can be about anything. And they're famous for like the kind of broad range of questions that they have. And in the general paper, that's it's three hours long and you have two questions. You have to answer, and uh, <clears throat> and so there might be something really. Uh, it's basically to show that you can make an argument and you can present yourself. You can think, and then uh, there, so the the question might be: um, There's a suggestion that London could be run on the the power of the tides as they come and go up the Thames. Could you do that? Explain. Or it might be: What's wrong with the French? You know, it's like asking a Thai, you know, what's wrong with the Burmese, you know? So it's a kind of trick question, okay? What are you going to say? And, uh, but they want to know how you can think and, uh, and, and your own imagination and your own intelligence. So it's not just a matter of repeating facts. So uh, one of the questions on this general paper was, uh, what is bravery? Bravery means like courage, the question, what is bravery? And so you have to pass not just your subject, but you also have to pass the general paper to get in to Oxford or Cambridge. Uh, and, and you get 50% of the marks for each of the two questions. So this one student or one applicant, she just wrote for the question, what is bravery? She wrote, this is. <laughs> two words for a for a, 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 which should have taken her an hour and a half to write to her, this is. They gave her 10 out of 10. And you never get full marks. So it's like, okay, we want her. We, this one we want. So that was a, a, she raised her game. Like, okay, here I am. This, I really want to go to Cambridge. 
and this everything hinges on this, okay, here's a challenge. What am I going to do? And then she was brave enough to say this. Simple. Any other questions? Time for one more. I'm not very good at short answers. Yeah. Can you say that louder? Well, it's a good question. So, it's very helpful to understand that metta, um, we, we think that metta means to try and make ourselves like everything. But that's not what it means. We're not trying to make ourselves like things that are unlikable. Like if our parents are sick, or, or we've been thrown out of a job, you know, uh, or something like that. So, Met, or we have a, we have feelings of anger. We're angry with our brother. It, that, how can I have meta for that? So meta is the better translation to English is radical acceptance. So it means this belongs. This is part of nature. So that meta is like is in a way opening the heart to say, here it is. Here's this feeling of sadness. My mum's sick. She's dying. There's a sad feeling, a compassionate feeling. That because I am a child, this is my mother, I care about her, therefore there is this feeling, I have a body, I have a mind. It feels, this feeling has arisen. It's part of nature. It's not that it shouldn't be. So that the metta is, here it is, this belongs, this is part of the natural order. So that uh, you don't like it, it's like you're not trying to make the bitter taste sweet, it's still bitter, but here it is. We have a tongue, it can taste bitter flavors. That's part of the natural order. So when you're praised, it's sweet. When you're criticized, it's bitter. When you succeed, it's sweet. When you fail, it's bitter. That, that's just a taste. But the heart of metta is, this is what bitterness tastes like. It's like this. This is what sweetness tastes like. It's like this. So that it's much more helpful to understand metta as that radical acceptance. Oftentimes we mistake metta for kind of having positive thinking about everything. Like, and when we do the traditional practices of metta, it's like, may I be happy, may all beings be happy, and we kind of go through a, a list, another laundry list. Maybe this being, that being, that being, that being, may they all be happy. So that's one aspect of metta. But at its root, its essence is this quality of uh, recognizing that everything is part of nature. In Kamtamachat, Dhammajati is born of the Dhamma, is part of the natural order. So it belongs. So that um, when we uh, recognize or this feeling of sadness, because uh, often what we do, when we think of metta as positive thinking, 
If we have, say, anger, like anger about your brother, I'm just making this up. I don't even know if you have a brother. But if you're angry about your brother, say, so you oh, I shouldn't be angry about my brother. I should have metta for my brother. So I've got to stop being angry and get to the place where there's a me who has metta for my brother. So we try to climb over the anger to get to that place where there's me who has loving kindness. So the anger is kind of shoved aside. But the more we just push it aside and, and uh, <coughs> resent it, fear it, we make it stronger. We're just suppressing it, trying to sugar it over, as we would say, which doesn't work. This makes you put you add sweetness to bitterness, and it makes you kind of want to puke. <laughs> it's like it doesn't work. So to uh, to accept or have metta for the anger is like okay, well, whether I shouldn't or I should or shouldn't have anger for my brother, here it is. <laughs> this is a, a human mind that has feelings. And there are these feelings of anger. And when you have that radical acceptance, it doesn't mean that you follow it. Acceptance doesn't mean approval. Just because you say, here it is, doesn't mean that you like it or it's good or you should follow it. If I feel violent towards you, it doesn't mean that I can say, violence belongs, therefore I should hit her. <laughs> no, violence belongs, but the precepts say, don't hit her. <laughs> You're a monk, you don't hit people. You know. So that's not what you do. But you, you might recognize the feeling as, as natural. So on that basis of metta, you accept the feeling, and then your own wisdom, satipanya, comes in to say, okay, now this is a feeling of anger. Now, if I act on this, this person suffers, that person suffers, everybody loses. So I don't have to hate the anger or fear it, just not act upon it. Like coming to the road, you know, a junction in the road. Okay, left goes to Sumutprakan, yeah, right goes to Ganshnaburi. Okay, I want to go to Ganshnaburi. Yeah. Go left, don't go right. So it doesn't mean that you have to hate the road to the right or fear it, you just want to go left. If you want to go to Ganshnaburi, you get to the junction, go left. So that in the same way, we recognize, well, this is an angry feeling. If it's followed, it's going to take me to an unpleasant place. I don't want to go to Saraburi. I want to go to Kanchanaburi. <laughs> so uh, that you are not hating that or fearing it. You're just recognizing that's not a good place to go. So that then when you, uh, you have the wholesome feelings, like, well, I want to, um, to practice loving kindness. I want to be compassionate then that's the, the term that you take. But it's not be, by, because you hate or fear the other. So it's a very good question. And in a sense, if we want to develop any kind of peacefulness, any kind of panya, wisdom, it needs to be based on this kind of metta, that we have to be able to accept all the aspects of the body, the mind, and the world around us. Whether we like it or don't like it, whether people are behaving in ways that we like or don't like, here it is. That person in your family is really difficult, or that person in the in the department is cheating on their research paper. <laughs> okay, whether you like it or not, that's happening. You have got this illness, whether you like it or not, here it is. So then, rather than saying, well, the world shouldn't be this way, it is this way. <laughs> and then you work with how the world is, 
And where you can make a change for the good, then you do. Where you can't make a change, then you leave it alone. When there's something that's uh, that's harmful, you'll also recognize, well, if I follow that track, uh, it will just lead to more difficulty. So let's not take that turning. Okay?